Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast today on Monday, the 11th of June, 2018. So I want to start off with uh, just saying, got a new, as you probably know, it's got a new setup now. Uh, ended up rearranging the back office, so uh, this will be how it is for the next little bit. If I like it, I'll keep it. If not, uh, I'll try rearranging her again. Uh, and before we get off into the really meaty part of the story today, which is going to be concerning the G7 and everything that's happened between uh, Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump, uh, just got a few quick updates. So there's there's now officially a new sheriff in town. We have Doug Ford as the the premier elect of Ontario, and we really handed the Liberal Party a wallop in this past election. They ended up losing 45 seats uh, from last time I checked. I believe it was 45 seats from the last election uh, when the Liberals ended up getting voted in. So now they're down to seven. And they have officially lost party status. That's pretty nice to, to hear. There's a few things that come with that, a few benefits that come with being an official part, an official party status. Uh, one, you're giving, uh, you're giving extra resources for research and uh, uh, research for campaigning, I think, as well. Now they're going to rely a lot more on uh, donations. Uh, that's given to them. Uh, also, uh, when you are a, um, have party status, you are called upon, like, uh, they will recognize you and your party when you go to speak. You're also, uh, when you have a party status, you're automatically given the right to speak. So now the Liberals don't have that anymore. Uh, the NDP do, the Conservative Party of Canada do, but it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, for the Liberal Party, they don't have it. Uh, one thing I thought was funny was that... Uh, is that the first past the post system has been uh, a lot of people were complaining about it after this election uh main ones that i noticed were the greens were complaining about it but what i thought was a little ironic about that was the greens were complaining saying it's unfair especially uh elizabeth may came out on twitter and she was talking about it, how unfair it is because doug ford only received 40 percent of the vote and then they got uh but he got the majority government she says that's unfair but what I thought was a little funny about it is that I don't think she realized that without the first-past-the-post system, the Greens wouldn't even be sitting in Parliament right now. I mean, one Green member got elected, probably wouldn't be there without the first-past-the-post system. And Elizabeth May probably wouldn't even be sitting in federal Parliament if it wasn't for the first-past-the-post system. Uh, and you notice how Trio was campaigning against it in the 20, uh, yeah, 2015 election, and yet as soon as he got in and got his majority government, yeah, we're going to drop her. Oh, you know what? We just can't. Uh, we're not going to reform the first-past-the-post system. I mean, I'm not against reforming the first-past-the-post system, but I just – I notice how a lot of parties tend to complain about it when it's the conservatives that get in, but then when they get in, ah, oh, no, no, we like the first-past-the-post system. And I gotta say, a lot of the NDP turned out to be very sore losers. Uh, and there's actually one in particular that uh, I wanted, we're gonna take a look into. And it's this one. You may recognize her, Laura Kamaker. She was the one that said that she's not going to, uh, 
she's not going to wear a poppy, that uh, Remembrance Day is collective brainwashing. You know, we thought we had enough her, but she, uh, as even we can see from the headline, it says that uh, she ended up insulting the majority of Ontario voters after uh, after the election. So uh, we'll scroll down here just to uh, get a little bit uh, perspective. She ended up, you know, thanking the people of Mississauga who voted for her, blah, 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 blah. But where is the meaty part? Ah, here we go. Uh, those are my thanks, but no thanks to the majority of Ontario voters who believe a lie and voted against their own interest. If one, if wanting great public services and an equitable tax structure makes me a radical, I'll wear those colors proudly. So essentially, everyone who went out there, you and me, we ended up, ooh, no thanks to us because we didn't vote her in. Aw, how sad is that? Poor little girl. She got offended by it. So I actually ended up seeing this uh, the day after the election on Twitter, and I made a few posts back. Actually, the one crying is to Catherine McKenna when she was bitching about it. But I, as I said to her, he's like, why would we vote for you? Uh, you are scum, although I missed the fuck that up. The things you've said are revolting. Go away and never show your face again. I also decided to hit her back a few other times. <laughs> ended up hitting her with this, and then ended up hitting her with, oh, with this one. Yeah, I thought it was too funny. But one thing I noticed, actually, is I went to go, uh, I wanted to pull up, uh, just before I started recording, I went to go pull up her actual tweets on Twitter myself, and I noticed something. Her account is now protected. It wasn't always like that. She had a public account <clears throat> for a long friggin' time. Uh, but, uh, no, apparently after all the lashbacks she got, she decided to protect her account so you can't just, uh, see what she has to say. And I think that's hilarious. She starts by insulting the majority of Ontario, and then she can't stand a little bit of criticism, so she ends up protecting her account. Uh, and also, if you'll notice, I mean, for a politician, 279 followers is not very good, so... I think it's a little funny just how much that they're bitching after this. Also, another thing that was kind of funny was um, <clears throat> one of the MPPs, or MLAs, whichever you prefer. I say MPP, and most people on Ontario do. Although I know the rest of Canada usually tends to use the term MLA. Uh, one thing I thought was funny was one of them was Chandra Pasma. She was running in, um, actually, I think she was running in Ottawa, actually. And uh, one thing that she ended up talking about while she was campaigning is how jobs are not the answer to Ontario's ills. So she ended up losing out in her riding. And uh, somebody actually ended up pointing out, he says, this is actually should be a win for Chandra Pasma because if she's talking about how uh, jobs are not the uh, are not the solution, then she should be pretty happy that she wasn't given a job, shouldn't she? Just the irony in a lot of the things that they talk about, a lot of the things that the NDP uh, were talking about in this past election. <clears throat> but I'm really happy that 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 Laura Kamaker didn't Kaminker or whatever didn't make it in because like. She and a lot of the NDP just insulted the shit out of the people in the armed forces, our veterans, and just no respect for them. I mean, you think it was bad when Justin Trudeau told that veteran that the that veteran at that town hall, the one who got injured by a roadside bomb and now had uh, problems walking, he was actually there with a um, he was there with a uh, cane. If you think that was bad enough, where he said that the veterans are just asking for too much, well, the. The NDP were even worse because they're actually saying the most revolting thing about the people in uniform. Child murderers, war criminals, 
and well, we've already mentioned about not wearing, there was a few of them that said they're not going to wear a poppy, and Laura Kamaker ended up saying that she, uh, that is Remembrance Day is collective brainwashing, so I'm really glad that we ended up, uh, we that Doug Ford ended up making it in, not the NDP, we would be in an even worse situation than we are now. <clears throat> okay, now we get into the main story. We get into the G7 and everything that happened there. So the G7 is something that happens every year, and it's between uh, seven nations in the world. It used to be eight until Russia was thrown out after they annexed Crimea. Uh, and it's supposed to be the top seven uh, economies in the world. We come, uh, They come, they meet in whichever the designated country is, and then they end up discussing things, politics, economics, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and this time it was in Charlevoix, Quebec. And as far as I could tell, I didn't hear much about the protests. There was definitely protests going on, but I don't actually think it turned violent or anything this year. So I guess that's something we'll be happy about. But uh, as we all know, things were pretty much uneventful for the most part. And then it was after the, G8, uh, the G7 ended that things really took a turn for the worse, especially for us in Canada. Just give me a second. I got a dry throat right now. <coughs> So first, let's just take a quick look over the communique for the G7 Summit communique that was released. And I just, uh, we're not going to spend too long on it, just highlight a few parts that I wanted to uh, wanted to uh, talk about a little bit. <clears throat> Oop, hold on one second. Just going to get myself out of the way there. There we go. So, as we kind of look through... Part one is just a pretty basic, yeah, we came together here on June 8th, June 9th, blah, 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 blah. And we get into uh, the first real part, which is investing in growth that works for everybody. So we see here in the first highlighted area, it says, we reaffirm our existence exchange rate com uh, commitments. We commit to promoting smart, sustainable, and high-quality investments such as in infrastructure to boost growth and productivity and create quality jobs. Now, right now, I'm just talking more from the perspective of Canada, but uh, this is clearly some bullshit that is coming out from our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who was the chairman of the G7 this year, since it was held in Quebec. But uh, he talks about how we need to in like we need to make smart, sustainable, and high-quality investments such as infrastructure. Well, this is something Justin Trudeau ran on, yet he's produced next to nothing when it comes to infrastructure. He's produced. Uh, he has produced um, uh, in the G in the uh, 2018 budget. He's allocated less than one percent of the budget towards infrastructure. This is <laughs> completely opposite of what he's supposed to do. He was talking about how climate change is one of the big ones that the one of the big reasons why. And if we all remember a year, maybe two years ago now, I'm just a little fuzzy on the details. I think it was last year there was the flooding in Quebec. He was trying to reaffirm why it was important for our infrastructure with climate change that with climate change we need to have stronger infrastructure, better infrastructure that's ready to face these uh these uh climate changes such as flooding or whatever it happens to be more worse storms you know maybe having to do with colder winters more or something along those lines but he's not living up to his end of the bargain when it comes to this in fact he puts so much towards uh so much towards gender equity which is another main part of this uh of the g7 summit 
which is why in my eyes it was pretty much just a useless fucking circle jerk this year. I mean, maybe in previous years it has been useful. I haven't really taken too much notice of the G7 until this year, mostly because I started once I started podcasting. I suppose it was something I maybe had to take more more interest in, a little more notice him. But uh, just like his budget, it was a lot about climate, uh, budget. Uh, they focused on oceans. Like it was just a lot, a big circle jerk. <clears throat> As we move on to the second highlighted, we are committed to removing the barriers that keep our citizens, including women and marginalized individuals, from participating fully in the global economy. What barriers? What barriers are they talking about? Because this is also my other problem when I was looking through this uh, communique. It was like they weren't giving any details into what they were doing or what the problem was or how they're going to break down, say, these barriers for women and marginalized individuals. Like half of our, our sitting members of parliament for the Liberal Party are women. So what barriers is he talking about that they can't participate fully in the global economy? Uh, marginalized individuals, like... There's always going to be some marginalization to everybody, but when they're talking about this, they're trying to make it seem like it's a systemic problem. And this has always been my problem with the way that Justin Trudeau has gone about this. Sure, you could point to some areas where I'm sure women or marginalized individuals can't really participate in, say, politics or maybe the global economy. It's go always going to happen. You can never level the playing field quite 100%. But every single individual faces some sort of discrimination, some sort of marginalization that makes it difficult, whether it's this field or that field. Plus, I noticed, uh, I don't know if I ended up, uh, I don't know if I ended up highlighting here, but they're talking uh, at one point specifically about the STEM uh, field. So science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. These are, uh, this is something that they're trying to push to. Uh, they're trying to push more women in or more uh, individuals in, but there has to be, number one, there has to be an interest in it. Number two, they have to be able to meet the prerequisites for it. I mean, these sort of industries are very technical. It requires, say, uh, for instance, a lot of math skills. In just about every single one of these fields, it requires a lot of math skills. So you can't just throw anybody into these fields. Also, if they actually are committed to breaking down the barriers and making things more gender equal in all the fields, then why does nobody ever uh, talk about uh, the sewer industry? or logging. These are two fields that are primarily dominated by men. In fact, I think right now, if we're talking about the sewer industry, it's something like 99% at work in that industry are men. So why is there no focus on these dirty jobs, these bad jobs, you know? It's always these lucrative positions where they say, well, we need to make things more equal. Well, why don't you start in the areas that actually have a huge portion of either men or women plus it's always one-sided you never see it going the other way around they say well this field is dominated by women like hairstyling we need to get more men into it and i actually couldn't find the article right now i wish i could have but uh there was actually one point uh one article a few years ago where it was uh it was actually from my city it was in the local metro which is just like this free kind of crappy newspaper but it's free i used to read them when i was uh when i was at my old job we always had one sitting right outside so i just grabbed one on my way in and lunchtime we had uh they had their half an hour and two fifteens pushed into a one hour break so one hour lunch break and then halfway through your shift so I just used to sit there, eat my lunch, read the newspaper. And this one story a few years ago, it talked about how a gay man was trying to get into the hairstyling industry, which is, again, predominantly women that uh, 
predominantly women, sorry, one second. <clears throat> there we go. I didn't have my cooling pad on my computer turned on. I kind of need it for this one, otherwise it'll shut down. Uh, it gets too hot. But anyway, so it's a the hairstyling industry is predominantly women, almost exclusively women. And what, the reason this guy was in the paper was the fact that he was told on multiple different job interviews that they were not going to give it to him specifically because he was a man. That women want their hair cut by other women, and he was trying to get a bunch of jobs in like salons and things like that. So pretty much coming out and talking about how there was no, he was getting discriminated based on his gender. And then a few weeks later, or like a month or two later, he was back in the paper because after his story came out, all these places started calling him back. He said as soon as that story broke, he was suddenly hit with dozens of of, of different salons calling him, trying to offer him a job. And a lot of them happened to be the same salons that ended up rejecting him initially. But there was no real, uh, there wasn't a huge outcry of discrimination in that situation. But... It's not exactly wrong that that he was faced with this problem, I would say. It's like I understand a lot of people would see it as being unfair. And yes, it is unfair, but it actually makes sense why maybe women in a hair salon want their hair cut more by women who may know it. I actually – I remember um, – I mentioned before that my wife is trained in hairstyling. Well, I used to have a friend who uh, – his name was uh, – it was a friend – He's a black guy, and he wouldn't let my wife cut his hair because uh, he said, like, it, she didn't know how to cut black hair is how he put it. So he preferred to have a black uh, hairstylist cut his hair because they know how to deal with it. There are reasons behind this, although what, may have made, what made that story a little worse is the fact that he was full out getting told, you will not get this job because of your gender. So that made it a little bit worse than maybe another situation that we usually come up with. But anyway, getting back to the G7, well, we need to talk about these barriers. We need to break down these barriers for women and marginalized individuals. Well, come out with some specifics. Come out with some stats that show this problem. Moving on to the third one. We will continue to fight tax evasion and avoidance by promoting the global implementation of international standards and addressing base erosion and profit shifting. <clears throat> Justin Trudeau's liberals should never, ever talk about tax evasion. Do you guys remember the Panama Papers and the Paradise Paper? Well, Justin Trudeau was on that. Bill Morneau was on that. And many other uh, high-profile liberals and also friends of Justin Trudeau ended up having their names on the Paradise Papers and the Panama Papers. And these two different and these two uh, documents were talking about uh, businesses and rich individuals that were moving their money off of uh, of their native soil into these, uh, for instance, in Panama, in banks down there, so that way they could avoid those, uh, avoid the taxes that they had to pay at home. So while they look at the rest of us and talk about how we're being unfair, how we're the ones that are fighting tax evasion, well, the local citizens aren't paying their taxes, they're literally moving millions of dollars offshore in order to avoid paying this. So they should never, ever, ever be talking to us, lecturing us about tax evasion. And again, I'm just coming at this from a more local perspective from 
here in Canada, not really going off into France or Germany or USA. Although when we're talking about the Paradise and Panama Papers, many of these world leaders were, had their names on it showing that they were moving their money off of their native soil, whether that happens to be in the US, whether it happens to be in Germany or the UK. Many of these were not uh, were not paying their taxes that they were supposed to, and don't forget, Justin Trudeau was the one who taught who came out during the election when he was running to become prime minister, talked about a progressive tax, how it how the rich have to pay. It's only fair if the rich pay a little bit more. Well, he is the rich. Bill Morneau is the rich, but no, they don't have to li- they don't have to listen to their own uh, their own advice. <clears throat> Moving on to the fourth uh, fourth highlighted area. <clears throat> we acknowledge that free, fair, and mutual beneficial trade investment while creating reciprocal benefits. Now, this brings us to our next part. <clears throat> We're kind of done with this area right here. We're kind of done with uh, covering the communique. So... Why is that last part important? The free, fair, and mutual beneficial trade and investments is because after the G7 ended, I'm sure everybody must know by now that uh, when Donald Trump ended up leaving the G7, he ended up saying that, uh, well, first of all, Trudeau came out as, as soon as Donald Trump left. He ended up coming out making a press conference where he pretty much said that, you know, it was insulting and unfair that the... Uh, that the U.S. wants to add uh, their tariffs to Canada, but for my my biggest problem with this has to do with the fact that he had, like, what two days? Just about, maybe not quite. Donald Trump showed up late, left early, so maybe not quite two days. But he had a face to face with all the other world leaders who probably would have been backing Trudeau up over Trump, where he could have confronted Trump face to face about this situation that we're going through right now with a little bit of trade, uh, t- the uh, tensions in trade that we're having right now. And he never, ever did it. He waited for Trump to be gone and then makes a press conference, try and act all tough about how it's unfair. We're not, Canada is not going to get pushed around. I'm not against the idea of what he's talking about. I'm not against him saying like Canada won't get pushed around and we need to stand up for ourselves. That's completely fine. But he should have had the balls to say that to Trump. There were plenty of photo ops where we saw Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump together. A couple times it was just the two of them. A few times it was with everybody else. But he didn't have the balls to fucking say it to Trump's face. When is a more perfect time than when world leaders are coming together to discuss trade and economics? That was the perfect time and he didn't fucking do it. Justin Trudeau is a fucking coward for not doing it. And what ended up happening as soon as that press conference came out and Trump left for, uh, got on his plane for Singapore because he's on his way to negotiate with um, North Korea right now about ending their nuclear program. That's, uh, yeah, I think actually tomorrow is, the, is officially the day that they're supposed to have their sit down and talk. I believe it was June 12th is when they're supposed to have their official talk. But then as soon as he gets on, Trump, uh, Trump cuts on calling uh, Trudeau weak and a few other choice words, actually. Maybe I can find it. Uh, maybe I'll quickly pull it up uh, just to be sure what exactly he said. But, uh, hold on. 
but he gets on his plane and he pretty much reaffirms the steel and the aluminum tariffs that uh, the steel and aluminum tariffs and now he and then he started threatening Canada's auto industry about how he's going to put the uh, put tariffs on that as well here we go okay so we have a few different ones So as so hold on, let me just switch the screen over. So as it says here, uh, right here, based on Justin's false statement at his news conference and the fact that Canada is charging massive tariffs on our U.S. farmers, workers, and companies, I have instructed the U.S. reps not to endorse the communique as we look at tariffs on automobiles flooding the U.S. market. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada acted so meek and mild during the G7 meeting only to give a news conference after I left saying U.S. tariffs were kind of insulting and we will not be pushed around. Very dishonest a week. Our tariffs are in response to your 270% on dairy. Okay. So that's what Trump ended up saying about uh, about us. That just, it immediately made the situation worse. It immediately made us look like where we could have been making progress inside of uh, the whole trade negotiations, it suddenly put us back. We thought that maybe after the G7, things would have gotten better for Canada. We could have been yeah, maybe have a little bit of less tension between Canada and America. <laughs> Excuse me that we may have actually had less tension between Canada and America after all this, but we don't. Now the situation has never fucking been worse. And I think, and I honestly do think that most of this, now I'm going to get into where I have a problem with with Trump's tariffs and everything in just a minute. These Trump tariffs also happen to be disproportionate to what it, what we're having with supply management and also what he implemented both on uh, both when we're talking about steel and aluminum which we'll get into in just a minute. But my main problem that I have with Justin Trudeau at this moment was the fact that this probably all could have been avoided if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't gone behind Trump's back and said uh, and said this things about him, if he hadn't said about the tariffs, if he had approached Trump directly and actually spoken to him during the G7, we probably wouldn't be in this situation that we're in now. And... Uh, I mean, I, first of all, like some of his rep, uh, some of the U.S. representatives have come out saying things like this is a stab in the back. And even one of them said that there was like a special place in hell for people like Justin Trudeau. Like this is completely hyperbolic. I mean, whether you, I don't I would not consider it a stab in the back by by our prime minister to uh, Trump and the U.S. over what he did. But it was definitely a cowardly move without a doubt. The fact that he was there for meetings and he didn't approach Trump directly about this makes it a cowardly fucking move. And there was time to do it, but no. No, 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 no. We had to spend most of our time talking about gender equity and environmentalism. I'm not against environmentalism at all. I'm not against the idea of cleaning up our lakes or taking care of air pollution. Or, you know what, even one thing that they did bring up, that uh, it's nothing solid right now, but I actually am not completely against it when they're talking about preventing the plastic staying out of the ocean. No problems there. I'm not complaining about that. But we had more important things that we could have been focusing on, such as this trade uh, this trade negotiation that's going on and NAFTA. We're in the middle of negotiating NAFTA. And 
this just made everything so much fucking worse. So much fucking worse. <clears throat> and again, we're going to get into the actual um, supply management and uh, because it's uh, there's things I'm for, things I'm against. And actually, it's not as cut and dry as Trump makes it seem. He likes to make it seem like it's that cut and dry, but it's not. Not at all. First things first. <clears throat> When we talk about, uh, when we look at what Justin Trudeau more or less had to say, now first of all, we take a look at here, where, and we're not going through this, just the headline is what we're focusing on. Prime Minister concludes successful G7 summit focused on creating economic growth that benefits everyone. <sighs> this was released on June 10th, 2018. Trump had already come out and talked, we already were aware that this situation had gotten worse. This was yesterday that he came out with this. But... The situation isn't better. It's not a successful G7 summit, maybe with the rest of the nations, but America is our top trading partner. So when they start uh, applying tariffs to us, and then they're threatening to add tariffs to more industry, especially when talking the auto industry, that's a big one in Canada. That, that was not a successful G7 summit. Not even close. And then here we go. Like We're in a tough situation now. And what does Justin Trudeau have planned for tomorrow? Justin Trudeau, on Monday, today actually, June 11th, is taking a personal day. Are you fucking kidding me? Whether you think that Justin Trudeau fucked this up or not, if you think this is Trump's fault, now is not the time to take a personal day. Now is not the time for him to be sitting at home with the kids. He's got plenty of other time to do that. He takes enough personal days, he takes enough vacations, and he takes enough business trips when he's really just using taxpayer dollars for vacation in other countries, similar to what he did in his trip to India, where he said went there for seven days for half a day or one day of business, and then he spent the other days just vacationing with his family on taxpayer's dime. Now is not the fucking time to be taking a goddamn personal day. This is the problem with our of Justin Trudeau. And the problem that he is showing again in the through the, the G7 summit series has to do with his goddamn progressive agenda. Gender equity, environmentalism, and fucking uh and then also focusing on marginalized individuals. These are things that you focus on at home. These are things that you don't try and take to the world stage. He has fucked up enough trade, trade negotiations because of reasons like this, because of his per progressive agenda that he keeps wanting adding into trades. It is literally killing us right now. It is killing us. Not to mention all the debt that he's added on to our fucking economy since he became the leader. It's ab like... I'm not going to like, actually sit here, even though I'm being critical of Trudeau right now. I'm getting into Trump in just a minute, but like, there's so much more that this guy can do for us, for our country, that he's refusing to do. And everything he does is just to signal to try and make himself look good on the world stage so that the rest of the world thinks that he's such a great leader. So that the, even that some people at home, he's, he does it for votes at home. This is why he does this shit. But he doesn't give a fuck 
about how much damage he's doing to the rest of us during that time. Now, let's get a little bit into supply management. Because what exactly is the supply management? Well, the supply management is, it takes part in our, um, in our dairy section in uh, Ontario. Oh, hold on, just give me one second. Trying to adjust my lighting a little bit. Hopefully, eh. I was trying to get the shadow off my face, but I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> All right. So, what is supply management? Supply management ha is focused on our dairy section. So this is covering milk, cheese, eggs, chicken, uh, turkey. Turkey as well. So this is the sort of thing. And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to control, it essentially puts a quota, which controls the amount that uh, if we're taking, for instance, milk, because that's really one of the main ones that's being focused on right now. If we're taking milk, it puts a quota on how much can be produced. So they kind of, they take a look at the numbers, how much milk is, do people, are people buying, are they drinking? And then they put a quota on for each farmer so that way they can't produce more than this amount of milk or this much uh, butter or this many eggs, you know, take your pick out of all of them. And it prevent, in that way, it sort of prevents the overproduction of it. Now, on top of this, what it also does is it puts tariffs on the, uh, on anybody that's trying to, um, uh, any uh, any imports to Canada on this, milk, butter, uh, eggs, cheese, all this stuff. And the sort of imports that they have, uh, uh, let me see, I've got some, and again, Trump is not exactly wrong when he's talking about how high that these quotas can be. I've seen some that were like 250, some were 275%, two, uh, sorry, two, uh, 250% a tariff on it, 200, uh, 275, almost upwards of 300% tariff on any imports of cer uh, certain commodities. <clears throat> now, because of this, we actually end up paying more for this product inside of Canada. It'll, ma it'll maintain the price of these products for the most part. I mean, milk will more or less be the same amount, uh, eggs, cheese, these will more or less be the same amount per uh, every single time you go to the grocery store. But, but we pay a lot more than the Americans do. I can't remember what the number is right now. Uh, sorry, I can't remember what the number is, but we do pay more for our milk and all these dairy products than we would in America. But the whole idea is to buy Canada, uh, buy Canadian goods and prop up the farming industry without actually subsidizing the farm industry. Uh, it's a very protectionist thing to do when we're talking about trade. It really is like to be we have to be honest here if we're, we're supposed to be talking about free trade, it is a protectionist thing to do. If we were to actually take away the supply management and we were to actually get more imports of these dairy products from the US, then we probably would not have to pay as much for each of these products. It actually is us the consumers that is suffering because of this and we'll get more into this in just a minute. But there seems to be three different areas where um, that is um, supply management focuses on. The first one is price setting, which is more or less I've already gone over. Now, the second one is control of the supply, which, again, it means how much is being able to be produced. There's literally a quota on it. And uh, I've got some numbers here. 
uh, that uh, so the quota says that uh, approximately. The quota is approximately 2 million per farmer, which is approximately 70 cows that they can have, and banks will loan Canadian dairy farmers upwards of $30,000 per cow. Now, this is different than the U.S., where they get about $3,000 per cow. Uh, and so it's uh, it allows them, and they kind of, uh, also the other thing is when we're talking about the price, actually, is that it kind of allows the government to, uh, sorry, the the farmers to sell uh, to sort of negotiate their own price on it. Usually, it'll be a standard price, but some will negotiate for a higher price, and then from there they'll they'll negotiate it to uh, to a certain um, uh, they'll start, uh, they'll negotiate it to whoever ends up selling the product for them, and then uh, from there they take into account certain things like how much it was uh, did it cost the farmers to do this, how do they make their own profit on it, yada yada yada, and that's why you usually end up paying more than the U.S. do. Uh, the third one is protection from competition, and this is where the tariffs end up coming in. And uh, as we can see that uh, there is, yeah, so as I'm kind of looking through, I can see 168% for eggs, upwards of 285% for chicken, 246% for cheese, and over 300% for butter. So this is, um, this is the sort of tariffs that Trump is making reference to when he's talking about supply management. And a lot of other countries have actually dropped their own supply management. I think uh, New Zealand, uh, New Zealand and Australia, I think, were the two that I ended up reading, where they ended up stating that uh, they ended up dropping their own supply management. So many are trying to, there's pros and cons on both sides, but one of the main cons for us, the consumer, is we're paying more. But it seems that there is across, uh, more or less all across party lines, there is support for the supply management. In fact, this was actually one thing that ended up helping Andrew Scheer when the conservative, uh, the conservative leadership over Maxime Bernier is because Maxime Bernier was going to scrap supply management and Andrew Scheer wanted to continue with supply management. And the dairy uh, farmers actually have a pretty strong lobbying group inside of Canada. So they definitely played their part when it came to helping out... Uh, when it came to helping out um, Andrew Scheer get elected as the leader. In many ways, pos it's possible that Maxime Bernier would have won if it wasn't for the uh, dairy lobbying farm. Uh, sorry, the dairy farm lobbying groups. And okay, now I got a couple other things over here. Now, here's something out of the Financial Post that I found while I was doing my research on uh, the on supply management. <clears throat> so as we can see here from the uh, Financial Post, uh, when was that? It was August 31st, 2016. Supply management is literally driving tens of thousands of Canadians into poverty. A reform plan that would phase out production quotas and import duties would benefit all Canadian consumers. So this, as I was saying, is that we pay more for it, which makes it a lot more difficult for a lot of uh, a lot of Canadians in order to afford it. Like it really is us who pays for it. We are paying so that way the uh, that way we're buying Canadian. Let's see what else do we have here. 
Oh, yeah. And actually, the one thing is, too, is when we're talking about this idea of uh, – when we're talking about the idea because Trump is trying to take shots at Canada and its farming industry. Well, as I said before, it's not so cut and dry when we're talking to about the American industry because uh, right here is the 2018 Farm Bill and Legislative Principles. And uh, – hold on. Hold on there. Oh, cool. Oh, it's not where I want it to be. So as we can check here under farm production and conservation, it says uh, this uh, bill, and this is the 2018 farm bill. It says it will provide a farm safety net that helps American farmers weather times of economic stress without distorting markets or increase shallow loss payments. And I actually forgot which other part I had highlighted just a moment ago. But this right here, this first part where it's talking about farm production and conservation, it proves that America's industry is subsidized when we're talking about farmers, something that Trump says he's against. He wants to remove the subsidies for a free trade agreement. This is actually a big misconception that I've, I've uh, had. I've even uh, had a couple people that uh, – hold on, actually. Let me – I'm going to find it again. I actually kind of got into – not got into it, but uh, I had uh, somebody who I follow on uh, follow on Twitter, and uh, I do respect the guy a lot. And He's very defensive of Donald Trump. He's Canadian, very defensive of Donald Trump, but he was wrong in this situation actually. And I think one, one thing that proves he was wrong is that uh, I sent him a message and he never replied to it. So uh, – Here it is. So this guy Manny Ottawa that I follow, uh, he's a very smart guy. I respect him. A l I respect him. But what he ended up saying on this was, "We know Canada's NAFTA new terms: Indigenous Environment, Gender Union, Dairy Marketing Board, rejected by uh, their trading partners." What one clause from USA real Donald Trump is – what's one real clause from USA real Donald Trump offensive? I dare you. You can't. Your emotions being played. He's seeking fairness. Somebody replied, I sometimes agree with you, uh, sometimes agree with what you say, but not on this point. The U.S. has farm subsidies as well, and they don't want to give it up. And their farmers aren't asking for supply management system to be scrapped. Having a sunset clause in a five-year uh, five deal is ludicrous. Uh, first of all, I don't actually think that a sunset clause over five years is that ridiculous, actually. Trade has to be renegotiated sometime. Every single agreement has to be renegotiated sometime. So he says, name one USA subsidy. Prove to me POTUS seeks to protect it. He doesn't offer full. Uh, he doesn't offered full, open, fair, free trade. Uh, a party may withdraw from this agreement six months after it provided a written notice. How is six months better than five years? He says, you you know it's it's not true. POTUS asked for an end to all subsidies. We heard nothing about USA wanting to keep or protect farm subsidies. In fact, opposite. Donald Trump wants free trade. Blah 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 blah. To which I ended up replying to him. Uh, I will agree that Trudeau aggravated the situation a, a lot more than necessary, but Trump is creating the American farm uh, safety net through the 2018 Farms Bill. And he never ended up actually getting back to me on that, so I kind of assumed that he read through it and realized that he was wrong. Uh, I do still respect the guy. He's got a great uh, great takedown of Justin Trudeau more than uh, on many occasions. I actually recommend that anybody who's on Twitter, he's a good person to follow. But uh, he was wrong in this, and there's even a few others that uh, – a few other situations that uh, – a few other articles where this can be seen.
as we can see here, which was uh, uh, from here, NPR. Farm subsidies persist and grow despite talks of reform. According to new estimates for the farm bill spending over the next few years released by the Congressional Budget Office, total government aid to farmers will swell to $23.9 billion in 2017. This was in 2017, and they got a graphic down here showing all about the farm subsidies, and this is in 2012 dollars. But uh, as we can see, it actually has been, at one point it was a lot higher, but this is showing the subsidies that have been over for for years we're talking we're going back like we're going back about 20 years here when we're talking about all these subsidies so it's always been in place and it's even been in place under donald trump 2017 it actually rose a little bit and now they're talking about uh it still got cut a little bit but there's still enough subsidies for the market for the we're talking about american farmers right here uh we also have this one american dairy farmers depend on government subsidies uh, a study which focuses uh, on changes introduced in the 2014 Farm Bill shows that in 2015, the American government doled out approximately $22.2 billion in direct and indirect subsidies to the U.S. dairy market. So Donald Trump likes to act as if, uh, he likes to act as if uh, that it's not being, that the American uh, farmers aren't being subsidized, but they are they are being subsidized and quite heavily and even if we like something a little more local we have here the globe and mail a guide to understanding dairy dispute between the u.s and canada one notable exception uh when they're talking about the uh the um what's going on they say one notable exception exception is unfiltered milk ultra filtered milk and other protein rich dairy ingredients used to make dairy products such as cheese and yogurt north american free trade rules do not cover these ingredients so they can enter canada duty free that all changes uh that and they're that all changed about a year ago when canadian dairy farmers and producers moved to close the breach in the tariff wall with a new ingredient strategy they persuade regulators to create a new lower price class of industrial milk as an incentive to get dairies to produce protein substances in canada using canadian milk the result was predictable u.s imports fell in 2016 and are declining sharply so far this year and that is really more than anything probably what Donald Trump is taking target at. Because the idea of, of ultra-filtered milk, which I believe it's called, yeah, is the idea that now with through technology, ultra-filtered milk can be, um, it's made up of uh, three main components, I believe. Uh, hold on, it was uh, milk fat, protein-rich solids, and water. And they're saying that new technology can now split these ingredients. And uh, now you can get a more, just one of the ingredients rather than the other. So it's not as cut and dry as Donald Trump likes to put out. He likes to make it seem like it's, uh, like it's all Canada and supply management unfair. And I think a lot of the numbers I heard was about it costs the Americans about $600 million per year, I believe. But uh, if we're also going to compare this to the industry that he ended up putting the tariffs on, he ended up putting 25% tariffs on the steel, uh, Canadian steel industry and um, – uh, when you talk about steel, and then he's also putting 15% uh, uh, tariffs on the, sorry, 10% tariffs on aluminum. Well, this is not going to go over well in uh, when we're talking about these industries. Hold on, where is it? Here we go. Oop, wrong one. 
So we can see here that when we're talking about global aluminum production by country in 2017, so Canada, we, uh, we produce 5.4% of aluminum. When we're talking about steel, less, we produce less. 14 million tons, not even 1% on the market. But when, let's look at the, uh, the U.S. imports. So when we're looking at the U.S. imports, a large percent of their imports comes from Canada. And they're going to start slapping a tariff on that. And this one over here is aluminum. Yeah, aluminum. They 40, almost 41% of their aluminum is imported from Canada. And if we look at that, that is $7 billion U.S. that we're talking about. Now, we look over here at the steel industry, 17.9%, 18% might as well. That is another $5 billion that they import from, uh, that they're importing right now from Canada. And then we got our own little, uh, our uh, own exports and where we're going to and where it's from. So we got Quebec. So it's going to hurt Quebec, of course, obviously. Ontario is another one that produces a lot of, uh, produces a lot of aluminum, but then it's actually in, uh, sorry, Ontario is what I meant. Ontario produces a lot of aluminum, but then we also produce a lot of steel and that's going to hurt us, which is why Doug Ford actually says he stands with Justin Trudeau on this trade dispute. And, uh, even Andrew Scheer himself has actually, doesn't happen much, but he's standing with Justin Trudeau on this one. We are actually presenting a full unified front against the Americans. But uh, we have to be honest when we're talking about this. Canada cannot stand up to a trade war with America. I really wish we, we could. I wish that we could get into the, this punch-for-punch punch tariff, but it's not going to work out well for Canada. We, America is much more self-sustainable than Canada is. They're our top trading partner. If they decide to slap a lot of tariffs on Canada, then we're going to be in a bad spot canada could very easily go into a recession that's not like that is we're just not in a spot to do it and if we're also talking about tariffs on top of the auto uh the auto industry it ain't going to go well for canada so as we look at the at how much that the canadian steel and aluminum industry creates for our economy in comparison to that to what the americans uh economy would make off of uh scrapping the supply management this these tariffs that trump has implemented on our country are completely disproportionate i mean we have uh what was it it was uh the almost eight billion for the aluminum industry and then we had five million uh five billion for the uh for the um steel industry in comparison to what 600 million that the americans lose in supply management so it's completely disproportionate what he's implementing in comparison to what he's losing and this is where we start. We started with 25 on uh, steel and 10% on aluminum. Oh boy. Oh boy, because that's just the start. If Trump wanted to, he can slap even more. He could double that if he wanted to. Uh, the tariffs that are already on that industry and then put uh, whatever he wanted on. I think he was right now, if I heard, it was he was talking about something like 20 or 22% or something, possibly, on the Canadian auto market. No, sorry, that was uh, no, sorry, that was when the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Uh, when they're importing uh, cars, about twenty-two percent of their imports come from Canada. So I don't actually. Uh, so yeah, I need to correct that. I don't actually know how much then 
it would be for uh, uh, how much he's thinking about when it comes to uh, I don't know how much he's thinking about when it comes to the tariff on top of uh, Canadian uh, car manufacturers but either way it's not going to be good so Donald Trump is getting pissed off at Canada when they're doing the exact same thing. They are subsidizing their farm. In fact, that's a little bit different. Canada's not subsidizing ours. We're putting a quota on ours, which is, again, not free trade, but subsidizing their industry is, is the same thing. It's not free trade. They're doing something a little bit different, but the same. My, so Donald Trump is kind of full of shit if we're talking about that. My main beef with Justin Trudeau is that he's not going about this in the right way. He's been taking every opportunity to take shots at Trump. And he, he's even bought into the, the, the idea that Russia hacked the U.S. election, which there's nothing conclusive yet to prove that, but they're more than willing to double down on that idea. Well... <sighs> You're doubling down on something that is pretty much insulting the current sitting president of the United States. Like him or not, we need to work with him. And this is not working with him. There are, if, if when Trump was first, the, uh, first getting on about the idea of, uh, when Trump was first getting on about um, supply management, if Justin Trudeau had just flown out there had a little bit more of a uh, actually gotten into the debate with him gotten into everything i'm sure we could have worked this out if donald if he had just spoken to donald trump about this uh, whole thing at the g7 i'm sure we wouldn't be in the position we're in today but he's taken every opportunity to insult donald trump and don't get me wrong it's not like it hasn't gone back the other way but at least from when i've been taking notice he trudeau has been doing it right off the start and trump definitely has taken his shots which can be insulting to trudeau but uh but this is only something he really only started to take the shots more recently and we could have saw this a lot earlier because um when the nafta negotiations came up he actually said that his focus was on mexico canada not a big deal and right then and there, Trudeau could have probably come in, worked something out. We could have been done the NAFTA negotiations right now and not even in these, this situation. And I'm sure we could have kept our supply. We can keep our supply management uh, if we had done this sooner. But instead, Mexico and Canada decides to stand together. Why? We don't really have a relationship with Mexico. I mean, I don't offhand know what the trading is like with Mexico, but it's not nearly as big as it is with the... Uh, with America, and actually, I think China is a bigger trade partner with Canada than uh, Mexico is. So, but for some reason, Trudeau decides to stand with Mexico, which pisses Donald Trump off. Then he started putting his sights on us, Canada, and we can't stand up to a trade war with America. As much as I wish we could say that, we really can't. So, if everything was to come down to it, I would actually be prepared. To put, like if we're talking about modern day right now, I'd be prepared to put our supply management on the table when it comes to trade. Because the tariffs that are going into our aluminum and steel industry are going to hurt us a hell of a lot more. It's going to affect a lot more people than uh, supply management. Supply management will hurt the farmers, which won't look good for Justin Trudeau uh, when it comes to next year's election for him. Which is one of the reasons that I think that he's trying to... Uh, He's trying to keep the farmers happy. But in the end, it's the rest of us that are going to get hurt. And the supply management already hurts us 
uh, when we're taught because all the uh, excess uh, what again if I didn't actually say it earlier supply management it keeps the uh, when it keeps from uh, the prices fluctuating so it keeps a regular income to the farmers on the rest of our expense so that's why I am prepared right now to put the uh, put our supply management on the table when it comes to trade because we don't really have much of a choice right now we could have but because of Justin Trudeau's shitty cha uh, trading, we're in this situation. Now, again, Donald Trump is completely full of shit. He's, and he's talking about this. He's being just as hypocritical as the rest. But for the most part in the past, I thought it was mostly talk. But then he started hitting us with the tariffs. And now it's no longer talk. Now it's actually a big fucking deal. I mean... Even before, we had people making, like, American representatives were making fun of Trudeau. Now they're calling it a stab in the back. Now they're saying there's a, a circle of hell that is reserved for people like Justin Trudeau, which is, again, completely hyperbolic. A circle of hell because of, uh, because he, uh, he was a coward and couldn't speak to Donald Trump's face, so he made himself act tough after Donald Trump left. That is completely hyperbolic. Like... Come on, there's a circle of hell that's reserved for, like, child molesters, murderers, and them sort. Not for people that kind of, if quote-unquote, stab you in the back in trade negotiations. So, I will join... I will join in most of the rest of Canada. I know there's still some that are more on the Trump side. I will join the rest of Canada in standing up to standing up to Trump and protecting our interests. But I will recognize that Trudeau made this a dumpster fire. It didn't have to be, but he made it a dumpster fire. And now the entire country is going to fucking uh, – the entire country, mostly right now Quebec and uh, – Quebec and uh, Canada, uh, Quebec and Ontario are going to be the big ones that are going to suffer right now. But uh, it's not looking good for us right now. We may have no choice but to play ball, and it kills me to say that. This is why I really wish we had someone who is better at negotiating inside the, the Prime Minister's office than Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau has proven himself to be a terrible negotiator. And he's trying to stand up and act tough, but he's not. Not even fucking close. He's a fucking coward. And this is who we have, and this is who we have, and this is who we're relying on to, uh, to solve this trade negotiation. Oh boy. Even Trump himself and uh, I think the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who, you know, whole other issues when we're talking about Mike Pompeo for getting more into who he is. But uh, even they said that, you know, we, once Canada replaces, uh, replaces Trudeau, they'll be more willing to do a trade negotiation. Well, I think that we really have – we're going to have to wait for the next coming election. We still have – we're over a year away from the next election, and we might be fucked until then. We'll end up seeing what the future brings, and maybe, maybe Justin Trudeau can dig us out of this hole. But considering how bad he's been so far, I'm really not 
I'm really not positive that he's going to put give a good end to this. I really think he's going to make the situation worse before he can make it better. <sighs> well, here's hoping for a better uh, here's hoping for a better tomorrow. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I'm Adrian Lloyd. This is just my stupid opinion. These Trump tariffs also happen to be disproportionate to what it was, what we're having with supply management and also what he implemented both on uh, both when we're talking about steel and aluminum, which we'll get into in just a minute. So as we look at the at how much that the Canadian steel and aluminum industry creates for our economy in comparison to that to what the Americans uh, economy would make off of uh, scrapping the supply management this these tariffs that Trump has implemented on our country are completely disproportionate I mean we have uh, what was it it was uh, the almost eight billion for the aluminum industry and then we had five million uh five billion for the uh for the um steel industry in comparison to what 600 million that the americans lose in supply management so it's completely disproportionate what he's implementing in comparison to what he's losing So as we look at this industry and we realize that we're losing, that the Canadian industry creates almost $8 billion for the, um, for the steel industry and another $5 billion for the aluminum industry, like, and what are the Americans losing? About $600 million because of supply management? So these tariffs that Trump has implemented is completely disproportionate. It's like... <laughs> I. I hate to use this word, but it's almost unfair, considering this is almost, what, a tenfold increase? 